Amen. Would you be seated? If you have your Bibles, take them, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When we come to the scriptures, we come from two basic positions. We come, when we come to the scriptures, we either have eyes to see, ears to hear, with a heart able to understand, or we come to these scriptures blind, deaf, hard-hearted, and unable to understand. There really are only two people in the room when it comes to the the word of God this morning is those who see and hear and understand and those who cannot. So when we open up this word, it is a very, very big deal. This just doesn't simply, this word just doesn't simply contain truth. This word is truth. By this word, some hear it and are saved. But also by this same word, some hear, turn, walk around and leave as if they've heard nothing. With this in view, let us ask the Spirit of God to speak through the Word of God and help us understand what it means and help us understand how to apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Father, you have something you want us to see, hear, and understand through your Word this morning. My prayer is that this morning your will would be done in our hearts as it is done in heaven. I pray your people would hear from your word this morning. And you would do the work that you've set out to accomplish. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, as a kid I can remember... And it wasn't like this for every older person I knew. But as a kid, I could remember that there were some older people in my life that just seemed what I thought then was just, they were just a little bit grumpy. Now, I understand that wasn't grumpiness that I saw as a child. That was a burden. See, as Job said, wisdom is with the aged, and with length of days come understanding. And so, once you've been on this earth a little while, wisdom can see where we're heading. Wisdom knows how difficult it's going to be for our kids and grandkids, and often we feel like there's nothing we can do about it. I know it's frustrating. Wisdom reveals to us that our world is literally insane. We have lost any concept of reality. The truth in the public square has been replaced with your truth or my truth. And beloved, when we lose the concept of truth, what we have lost is reality itself. You see, claiming to be wise, the world is a fool. It is now, it always has been. However, this world is a fool with an enticing product to sell. The product this foolish world peddles says you can be whoever, whatever you'd like, without any thought of how your decisions affect anyone else around you. This foolish world 
offers you this product that exalts you as your own master. You have no king but yourself. Your life is your choice. And it's all about you until you start to experience hardship. And then all of a sudden, that's somebody else's fault. This foolish world says the ends justify the means. As long as we get what we want, it does not matter how we get there, who leads us there, or who is harmed in the process. So now these few decades later, I am starting to understand the struggle of what it means to not lose hope. I really am starting to understand the struggle of not letting grumpy win, not letting the burden win. So here's a picture, one of my favorite uh, pictures of me and Drew, right? We're in New York City. After the youth have seen this picture before, they probably know where I'm going with this. This was, of course, you can see the crowd there, so it's pre-COVID, right? It's, it's back when you could actually gather in large groups and not be afraid for your lives. So we are there in New York City, and as you can tell, it's the busiest time of the year. And we even have a couple of guys in the room that were on this trip with us. And I'm telling you, this was, you, if you've ever been to New York City at Christmas time, it is shoulder to shoulder crowded. I mean, it is crazy crowded. And one of the things that I noticed in this crazy crowd is that crowds have currents. You could, it was almost like watching the water flow. Once you, if you could get up and look at people, once this group decided it was going that direction, if you were in that group, guess which direction you were going? That direction. Why? Because there really was no escaping the pressure of the crowd. You would have to kind of just inch your way little by little until you made your way out of that current. It's amazing how much strength is in numbers when people are going in the same direction. Not only do crowds have currents, but crowds also create culture. And so a crowd without any sense of truth will create a culture of chaos. And this chaotic culture has a current, and as a follower of Jesus, you know that the Word of God calls us to live against that current, and you know how difficult that is. So for those of us who have ears to hear... Eyes to see and hearts to understand, 1 Corinthians 13 will not let us along. It will not let us continue to be carried along by the doctrine of our culture. It confronts us where we are and will not let us continue to be the same. And so you may take your Bibles now, 1 Corinthians 13. You follow along as I read aloud. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant 
or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Amen. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is absolutely necessary. Love is absolutely necessary. Paul has just given a great defense for the need of spiritual gifts in the church. You look back in chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So he begins this talk in verse 12 about spiritual gifts. And then he talks about love in 13. And then continues the conversation about spiritual gifts in chapter 14. And what this teaches us, we cannot understand our role in the church. We cannot understand our role in the culture apart from truly understanding what love is. Paul knows words are important. He wrote Romans 10 verses 13 through 14 that says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then how will they call upon him? And whom have they not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So yes, words are important. But what does Paul say? In chapter 13, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Words are important, but without love, loveless words are worthless words. He says wisdom and knowledge are important. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Yet, love, yet without love, wisdom and knowledge are useless. We all know faith is important. The Bible tells us without faith it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards all who draw near to him. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. Yet even faith without love is worthless. Yes, sacrifice is important. 
Paul goes as far to say, as if I'm willing to give my body up to be burned, but yet if I have not love, that sacrifice is in vain. See, all these gifts that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, without love, they're useless. They have no value. They have no effect. And I wonder, wonder if we have lost our influence in this chaotic culture because we have lost our love. Listen to Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Speaking to the church at Ephesus, this is what Jesus says. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Listen to Jesus say these words here. Verse 4, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And guys, just being, just can't be anything but honest here. When I look at the culture, the church seems to be losing its influence. The church seems to be losing its power. Its lampstand seems to, be, have take, seems to have been taken away. What causes that to happen when we have lost our love? So if love is absolutely necessary, then we have to ask the question, what is love? And the thing about that question is, I'm not sure it's the right, right question. I don't know if what is love, and if you're, by the way, sidebar, if you're my age or a little bit older, you probably have a Saturday Night Live skit in your mind right now. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. The youth are going, what is my youth pastor doing? But if you know, you get it. You get it, right? I see that you're getting it because there's a lot of smiles in the room, okay? So what is love is not the right question. The Bible poses the question of who is love, not what is love. Because 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because what? God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Love And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. So if we're going to know what love is, then we must first know who God is. And that is exactly who Paul describes in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 13. You see, because the definition of love is woven into the nature and character of God. You see, because God is patient. And he is kind. God does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. In Christ Jesus, God gave up his divine privileges and took on the humble form of a slave. God is not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but God rejoices with the truth. God is faithful, and in Christ Jesus, He has borne our grief and carried our burdens. He is the object of our faith, and the one through His resurrection brings hope to completion. In Christ Jesus, God has endured the cross, 
for our sake, resounding in his glory, God never fails. Love is eternally good because God is eternally good. Love will never end because God is infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And there is no beginning or end with Him. And so when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we come in contact with the character of God. We come in contact with the nature of God. And anytime, anytime God enters the room, it's like turning on a light. And once the light's turned on, we can see. And so I'm going to talk about three problems that love causes us to see from this passage. And the first problem is the problem of lust. Now, have you noticed that we are in this era of a redefinition of terms? What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is when I say love, someone else can use love and mean something completely different. We are in an era, in an age where things are being completely redefined. Our culture uses the word love, but you know what it really means? It means lust. It doesn't mean love. You see, love and lust are opposites. Lust is impatient. Lust is rude. Lust is crude and full of pride. Lust demands its own way. Lust destroys all those, those who disagree or get in its way. Lust leads to resentment and anger. Lust rejoices in evil and perversion. Yet when tested by the truth, lust bears nothing and can endure nothing. Lust has no hope because it is only concerned with the momentary pleasure that, I'm, that you're currently faced with. And this is the month every year when lust seems to be on full display in our culture. However, lust is not just about sexual pleasure. Lust is a psychological force producing intense desire for a person place, thing, or circumstance. And this force often exists while already having a significant amount of the desired object. It's not just I am lusting for something I don't have. It is the fact that I already have a certain amount of this and it's not enough. Lust causes you to want more, 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 and you don't care who gets damaged in the, in the wake. You don't care how many bodies are left behind you. All you care about is what you want. You see, we lust after material things. We lust after power or control. We lust after popularity or fame. And all these things may provide moments of pleasure, but it's a pleasure that does not endure. And in the end, the ones who lust after these things are left poor Naked, blind, helpless, and hopeless. See, this passage tells us that lust is not the answer. Lust is not something we should explore. But love is the answer. So it's the first is the problem of lust. The next problem is the problem of outrage. Now, there is no room for outrage in love. In love, there's no room for uncontrolled fits of anger, insurrections, or riots. 
The current of our chaotic culture pulls us toward conflict and away from healing and restoration. If you want to know somebody who truly understands love, do they lead you toward healing and restoration? Or do they lead you toward more conflict? If someone is leading you toward healing, toward restoration, they are a person who understands love. See, the culture demands that to lift one up, another must be torn down. Culture demands that when we're confronted with something we disagree with or don't like, we silence them or or. We silence all opposition. We defriend them on Facebook. We unfollow them on Twitter or whatever you do on social media. See, our culture values rants over relationships, conflict over reconciliation. Now, I know that the temptation that most of us face is not to be, uh, is not to riot or to, to start a revolution. But what we are tempted to do is to be this guy. All right, I got a picture. See that guy? You see that guy right there? Now, y'all, that's, it's like the portrait of manhood, Clint Eastwood, right? Go ahead, make my day, that guy. And you know what he's doing? He's giving in to outrage. William, he's just sitting there. He hasn't thrown a thing, hasn't torn down a thing. Has it been someplace he knows he can't go? William, what are you talking about? He's just sitting there. Look at the look on his face. You see, the temptation we face is not to burn a building down. The temptation we face is to climb up on our porch, sit down with our favorite beverage, and watch the world go to hell around us. That's the temptation we face. We are faced with the constant temptation of being the curmudgeon, to being the grumpy one, the mad one, the one that says the problem with this world is all of them. If they would just get their act straight. You see, this is the portrait of the ultimate get off my long guy. Grumpy, disgusted with the world around us, perfectly willing to enjoy that porch to enjoy that beverage without care about what's going on with those around them. And see, love will not allow us to turn into that guy. Love doesn't counsel, cancel. It doesn't dismiss. It won't sit by and watch as the world continues to suffer. Love, you're right, love will not celebrate evil. How, however, it also will not defend the truth in a way that's full of hate and rage. Love cares more about winning the soul of the person than it does about winning the argument. That's a great place for an amen. It cares more about the soul than it does about the argument. Love doesn't lead to half-hearted forgiveness that continues to keep a record of wrongs. When I was in high school, Garth Brooks sang this song. He said, we bury the hatchet. And leave the handle sticking out. Remember that song? It was, it was on deep down on his No Fences album. That was like a huge album in my life when I was a teenager. The teenagers are going, God, this, this man is so lame. But no, it was, it was the No Fences album. That song was down the list. You know, the one that really didn't get released on the radio. But that song says, we bury the hatchet and leave the handle sticking out. 
we're always pulling up things we should forget about. Baby, when it comes to loving, honey, there ain't no doubt. We bury the hatchet and keep the handle sticking out. And when you're living, being affected by our culture toward outrage, you don't ever truly forgive. You bury the hatchet and it's gone until that person does something else that you don't like. And then what do you do? You reach down, grab that same handle and pull it out. I'm very grateful that our God is a God who forgives and forgets. That's what God does. To have a stained robe washed in the blood of the Lamb that makes it perfectly white means that stain is gone. It's no longer there. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. And His mercy completely wipes away any debt that our sin has occurred. Love will not let us continue in this culture toward outrage. Third problem love exposes in this culture of chaos is the problem of self-glory. We degrade our existence by treating ourselves like a product to sell. We are created in the image of God who still, and we all still have all sorts of imperfections and shortcomings. However, when we're motivated by self-glory, instead of being honest about those imperfections, we try to hide them. Why? Because we want everybody to see this best, perfect self. We don't want people to know who we really are. Self-glory never challenges us to work on what is wrong with us. Self-glory is more concerned about perception than it is reality. We sell ourselves for the currency of likes and views. We seek to gain approval and glory in the disapproval of those who think differently than us. Carried along by a culture of self-glory, what really matters are only those people, places, and things that make us feel good about ourselves or make us feel important and valued by those around us. When we are carried along by a culture of self-glory, there is no desire to do the actual work that is necessary that makes us good, important, or whole, there is no concept of self-discipline. All there is is this concept of whatever is for my good and for my glory, I am for. But listen to this quote by John Piper talking about this passage of Scripture. He said, Love does not brag and is not arrogant. That is, it does not speak much about itself. That's a word for today, isn't it? (laughs) When we have devices we can pull out and say anything we want about ourselves and post it to the world, that's a word for us today, isn't it? That it does not speak much about itself and is not puffed up with its achievements or too concerned about its hurts. I just challenge you, whatever social media platform you're on, Look down that social media platform and see how much it is about the individual or how much it is to them about giving full expression to their rants and full expression to their hurts. Love is others-directed, not self-consumed. 
which means that a massive craving in our hearts must die. This massive craving. Does that sound familiar? Yes, that's the problem of lust. That's the problem of outrage. That's the problem of self-glory. This massive craving in our hearts must die if we're going to love. And then Piper goes on to say that if love is humble and others directed, then love is death. The glory-loving, self-exalting, attention-seeking, whining, pouting, self-pitying me has to die. And isn't that what Paul said? Unless by the Spirit you put to death of the, the deeds of the body. If you will by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But if you continue living according to the flesh... You will die. There must be a glory greater than ourself to live for. I might be thinking, William, okay, you've given us three problems. It's the problem of lust. Lust for pleasure, provision, power, and popularity. It's the problem of outrage. Outrage seeks to win the argument and doesn't mind if you lose the person. It's the problem of self-glory that desires to make more of ourselves than any other person or being. And so when it comes to what's the solution for all these problems, again, maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe the question is not, what is the solution? Maybe the answer to that question is, who is the solution? Who is the solution? His name, you know it. His name is Jesus. The Word of God became the Son of God and lived among us. And friends, he didn't live among us like everyone else. He didn't live among us and go along with the crowds. He didn't let the, the current of the culture take him to places he didn't belong. He showed us in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension what love truly is. Yes, the solution is Jesus. And Jesus lives in us. And Jesus lives through us. You know this passage you're very familiar with. Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked. Listen to this. Following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we ought once lived in the passions of, of our flesh. Could you use the word lust there? Absolutely. In the lust of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. Don't you see the three problems in those three verses? The problem of lust, the problem of outrage, the problem of self-glory. You see it in those three verses. But you know verse 4. You know it well. And what does verse 4 begin with? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great what? Because of the great what? Love with which he loved us. Because he himself is love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us. he's raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Friends, what that last part of that verse means is he will use us his display of mercy and grace given to us for all eternity to prove 
that he is love. God loves us, and by grace through faith, God has saved us from this world and has united us to Christ. We are in him, and his love is in us because he is within us. Jesus himself, if you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus himself, by grace through faith, is in you. John chapter 17, verse 26, Jesus prayed, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Listen to this phrase, that the love with which you have loved me, the love with which you have loved me, the love that God the Father has for the Son may be in them. And then Jesus doesn't stop and say that the love is in them. Guess what he also says? He finishes out that sentence by saying, and I in and I in them. It is not just the fact that we have the love of God inside of us. Because God is love, we have God himself inside of us. Though we were born with the inability to truly love, we now have supernatural love dwelling in us. If you truly are a child of God in Christ Jesus, then you have the love of God living inside of you. And you have Jesus himself living in you. See, Jesus is in you. And if the love of God, God himself lives in you, then he desires to use your life to reveal his love to other people. It is not just enough that Jesus is in us. You cannot have Jesus in us without Jesus living through us. We cannot say we follow Jesus and yet refuse to love. See, living out this love will cause us to put others before ourselves. We will refuse to be irritable or resentful. We will completely forgive. We will continue to stand for the truth, but do so compassionately and graciously. Winning the argument will take back seat to winning the soul of the individual. You might be thinking, William, all that's good. I mean, ideally, all that's good. But tell me, William, what does that look like? I want to know what that looks like. Can you show me, William, what that looks like to live in that way? And I, I think I can. Go ahead, Sam. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You would you have a drink with me as a medicine? You're a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said a place. It's not safe for you to be alone, Nancy. Long story. 
If you are a follower of Jesus, you've had that moment in your life, right? Where you've sat at the well. He's told you everything. Things that nobody else knew. How disgusting it was to you that you would even think about doing that. And love in the flesh looked at you. If you're a follower of Jesus, when love looked at you, you saw the, not the condemnation. You fully received the acceptance that he offers. It changes everything. My invitation to you this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he comes not offering condemnation. He's not a person of outrage. He's a person of love that seeks reconciliation. He's done all that needs to be done to be reconciled, to have you reconciled to God, the Father, the one who has created you. If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe the invitation for you this morning is maybe you've realized you've gotten caught up in the culture of lust. You've gotten caught up in the culture of outrage. You've gotten caught up in this culture of self-glory. And maybe the invitation for you this morning is just to come home. 
So let Jesus Christ not just live in you, but maybe today it's the choice that you are intentionally going to let Jesus Christ live through you. I'm going to pray, and once I finish praying, Pastor Blake's going to sing. And as Pastor Blake is singing, I want to invite you to come to the altar. You can do business with God right where you're at. You can come to the altar, or if you need to talk with someone, I'll, I'll be up front to pray with you if you need help. Let's stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for compassion. Thank you for grace. This is compassion and grace motivated by love. So that in our lives, you would receive the glory and honor as the one who is love. Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love. We read that this morning in Psalm 33. You've told us what love is by revealing yourself to us in 1 Corinthians 13. You have reconciled us to yourself through the death of your only begotten Son, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father where he is ever interceding, praying for us. God, I pray if anyone is in this room, doesn't know you personally as their Lord and Savior, could it be today that they say, today I believe? Could they have that moment like the woman at the well had where she realized that you really are the Christ? Maybe that happened today. Father, maybe there's a follower of Jesus who's just lost their way, got caught up in the culture, and they just need... Just need a bath in your grace this morning. Pray that as they come to you in faith, and as they confess their sin to you, you would do exactly what you said you would do, that you would forgive their sin and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen.